0: Welcome to Westchester Words Education, EdTech, and Publishing. I'm Nicole Tomasi, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Laura Cunningham, Content Director for STEM at Westchester Education Services. We'll learn about Laura's career prior to joining Westchester and about the content development areas she works with clients on here. Laura, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Westchester Words. Hi, Nicole.
1: It's a pleasure to be here.
0: How about we begin by having you share some background with our listeners about how your career in education has brought you to your current role today as the content director for STEM here at Westchester?
1: So, I always wanted to be a teacher. I was in high school and I wanted to be a teacher and never changed my major (laughs) during the entire thing. Um, I graduated with um, a bachelor's in science and earth and space education, and I taught in um, public schools in Maryland for about 11 years. And at the end of that time there, I was working on my master's. So my master's is in curriculum and instruction, and I have an option in ed leadership. So I really wanted to put my master's to good use, and I loved developing new content with the students. So I transitioned out of the classroom and started to work for um, a small publisher that was near my home. And I, I was there for a few years and did a lot of really, really neat projects. Um, the company was primarily print-based. And while I was there, we took it from um, entirely print-based company to both hybrid and fully digital learning. And that was in a matter of about two years. So it was quite a shift for the company as a whole. I was working with vendors while I was at the publisher and really loved what um where vendors were able to see from different publishers and what kind of like new innovative products of these different publishers were coming up with and developing. I really wanted to be a part of that. So I transitioned from the publisher side uh, to the vendor side, and I've been loving it ever since. Well, that's a very interesting
0: path here to Westchester. So um, when you were in the classroom, was there a certain grade band that you worked with primarily, or was it
1: all across A12? I am secondary certified so right out of college I started teaching um, ninth grade earth science um, two different differentiated levels and I was also teaching astronomy to it was astronomy elective to 11th and 12th graders and additionally I had an astronomy class for uh, students with special needs Um, so it was an inclusive classroom so it was myself a special educator um, and two paraeducators leading this astronomy class. So that was my first um, two years of teaching, and then I transitioned to a different school. And I taught um, Earth and Space Science in a magnet program, meaning that students had to apply to the school, and they had me for Earth Science um, the entire school year, so 180 days for 90 minutes every day. So I was the only one in the county who taught Earth Science at that grade level and for that duration. So a lot of the materials I had were garnered to high school students. So I had to adapt everything that I was doing to meet the needs of my eighth graders.
0: So you also said that you shifted from working for a publisher to moving over to the vendor side, which is obviously what we do here at Westchester Education Services. How do you feel that the um, background you have in the classroom and then working for a publisher, how do you feel that informs the work you do here with our clients?
1: It definitely gives me a different lens and perspective. So I can understand what our publishers are aiming to do. I understand their needs. Um, I also understand some of the pressure that they're feeling with developing a really excellent product because ultimately they have to sell that. So I I understand the stresses of being at a publisher. And also from the teacher's side, I understand how students learn. So I'm able to construct materials for our different partner clients in a way that I know is pedagogically sound and also age appropriate for their development.
0: And STEM subjects, as as we know, as science continues to evolve and new discoveries are made, um, it's just continually changing. And therefore, you know, the print, the digital, and the hybrid materials all have to update along with whatever those discoveries are that are being made. Uh, is that what kind of drew you into creating educational materials in math and
1: science? Yeah, absolutely. So. As we learn more and have access, because we have access to improved technology, our understanding about the world also changes. And this is really similar to how we work with our different client partners. So we have the privilege of collaborating with excellent thought partners, and we're able to learn how they're making improvements. And it's all in a goal to help students learn. Um, We want every student to be able to achieve. And me, and also our client partners are really working with meeting students where they are in their learning and making it relevant to different students as well. Reading like the newsletter with all the James Webb Space Telescope pictures that we're going to be back, which are phenomenal. <laughs> we're we're starting to learn a lot more about how our universe may have begun, which is really interesting. And we're you know seeing if we can use that evidence that we're seeing from the telescope either like support or provide evidence to the contrary about like the Big Bang Theory, which has been pretty commonly accepted. So it's it's really interesting um to see how all this improved technology is informing how our understanding of our world. And it's all happening pretty much in real time. <laughs> exactly. That's
0: why STEM is like so much fun. <laughs> Because it's it's just constantly changing and there's just new information coming forward, either, like you said, proving theories or, or maybe kind of turning them on their side a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Part of those theories or discoveries make up some of what's in the next generation science standards or what's called NGSS for short. And these were... Um, constructs that were introduced about a decade ago in the U.S. education space, and while most states now use these standards or requirements that are developed, you know, kind of adjacent to them, I'm wondering from your perspectives, you know, in the classroom and then working for publishers and then a vendor, what sort of impact do you think that NGSS has had
1: in terms of helping students learn STEM concepts? So I remember I was teaching when NGSS was coming out. I remember having professional developments and being pulled into like a little tiny classroom and learning about what is this new thing called next generation science standards and how is it different than what we have? Before then, the United States had made a couple of attempts at developing their own science standards. This started like back with the Reagan administration, like in the 80s, and they started to developed standards that they thought that every kid needed to be able to achieve at different grade levels. And and it was a, it was an attempt to it, Uh, but mostly states were making up their own science standards. When NGSS came along, it kind of turned, I wouldn't say it turned science on its head, but definitely turned the standards. So as opposed to common core where you have these kind of like discrete statements, NGSS has a lot of depth to it. There's different components of it and our publishers will choose to align to different components of it as well. NGSS is really phenomenon-based, and they're centered on phenomenon, and their goal is to assess students using these performance expectations. Um, And within a performance expectation, we have the disciplinary core ideas that if you were to, like, break apart the standard, that's what those DCIs would be. So it's little measurable learning parts where you can eventually, if you master them, you can be able to do this performance expectation or the PE. There's also science engineering practices and cross cutting concepts. Um, There are relationships to um, Common Core ELA and math that they have within NGSS. So it's a really robust um, and deep set of standards that they've created. But mostly with that centering on that phenomenon makes the learning more relevant for students. And when you make real learning more relevant for students, it helps us retain that learning through, through a duration. It's not just at the end of that class, but students really remember these concepts for a long time. Making um, inquiry-based also is a hallmark of NGSS. We want students to use uh, different levels of inquiry to be able to construct their own learning and to be able to learn for themselves rather than the teacher giving the direct instruction and telling students. So we want students to understand concepts and form their own understanding of it rather than being told.
0: So it's sort of interactive in a way is what I'm hearing. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And there's, there's a lot of different resources out there on, on NGSS, even like their website provides some exemplars of what kind of lessons that they're looking for. But these are standards that they really do build. And they're not something that you would be able to you know, master in a day. Um, these are, are really deep, robust standards that I think ultimately really get at the heart at how students should be learning science. Um, they're inquiry-based. They're phenomenon-based. They're real life. And these are all things that appeal to students and what students relate to.
0: It makes sense because if you can tie it to your, you know, to your everyday experiences, you're more likely to gain a better understanding and possible mastery of that concept.
1: Exactly. And there's a lot of learning science behind this about um, these these pathways that your brain actually forms when you connect something new to what your prior experiences are. So we're trying to you know, form those neural pathways, really, and almost like changing the student's brain to thinking about things in a different way and making new connections. So kind of rewiring it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of learning science that, that goes into you know, exactly how people learn and why people learn the way that they do. Um and NGSS really doesn't, I think it does a nice job of this because it's going for um depth rather than breadth. That's really interesting. I mean, maybe I would have been more interested
0: in science back in my school days if it had, you know, had more application to my you know world around me.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was I uh, was reading an article. Somewhat recently, about a teacher in Chicago, and she taught at a neighborhood there where I think some pollutants had entered the soil or the groundwater, and she was teaching chemistry at the time. So she was actually having students going out, collecting soil from their neighborhoods, bringing it back in, and analyzing it to see what kind of pollutants were in their soil, and then acting on it. So what is what is this going to do? What kind of I guess health implications, or what could this do to me? Knowing that this is
0: in my soil, what can I do about it? So understanding how it impacts your everyday environment.
1: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So we're trying. So with NGSS, we're really trying to make that connection. Like what is happening where you are, and how can I connect that to something new?
0: And and maybe how can I do something positive to remedy the situation if it's not a very good situation, such as pollutants in the soil or the air? <laughs> or the yeah. Water. Exactly. Yep. Very interesting. So I want to pull on something else you mentioned um, a few minutes ago. You said that there's a um, an association between NGSS and ELA, and I was wondering if you could um, explain a little bit more about that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so within NGSS, when you start getting into some of like the higher uh, elementary grades, so like three, four, five, throughout middle school and high school, students are expected to use research into what they're doing to support um, their theory or hypothesis. So that's, that's part of it. Um, students are also encouraged to uh, develop claims and defend them in writing. So this is a part of ELA. Um, also students are expected to use like different kinds of research materials to like prove their theory or prove their hypothesis or provide additional information about um, something that they're seeing. That makes sense, because if you,
0: you know, if you have all the findings in your head and you can't explain it well or write it out well,
1: it's only going to take it so far. <laughs> yep, exactly. And, and a good scientist knows how to write their research and to write it in a, in a meaningful and understandable way.
0: Laura, another area of responsibility that's under your, um, I guess, remit, if you will, here at Westchester is working with clients to help them develop or modify assessment materials. And I was wondering if you could explain why this is a particularly important area of education.
1: Sure. So we're seeing um, assessment modification a couple of different ways. Um, One of them maybe a little bit more obvious is if any uh, standards change. So a lot of different publishers, we have to be able to meet the same standards of the state that they're trying to sell. We're, we're seeing a lot of that um, recently with different adoptions that are happening, both in um, science and in math, that standards are changing, therefore our assessments had to change. Um, we're also seeing this in a really um, innovative way as well that I, I want to talk about, which are adaptive assessments. We're seeing adaptive assessments that are, are being made that can only really support students of all different kinds of ability levels. And I, I, we can come back to that one maybe in a little bit, but assessments have always been important to inform teachers about student progress. And assessments can either be for learning or they're formative assessments, or they could be of learning or summative assessments showing what students have learned. So both are important, and they can both be used in different ways to inform the teacher about how their students are progressing. Let's go back to what you were saying about
0: adaptive assessments. And for somebody like me, who's hearing that term for the first time, can you explain what it is and why it's becoming an important piece of the overall assessment area? Yeah, sure.
1: So we're seeing an increase in making adaptive assessments. This is really appealing and really encouraging. The adaptive assessments that can relate it to kind of like a choose your own adventure book. you remember those books from, you know, a long time ago, if you, you pick this path, you. Yes, I remember them well. <laughs> yeah. They're kind of like the choose your own adventure of assessments. I said it very loosely. So adaptive assessments are, are designed to support students of all ability levels. So if we have a student that's um, entering like grade six math, and they're learning about different um, geometry standards. And we have one student who's really accelerated in geometry and really understands these standards well. And then we have a student that doesn't. Maybe they have been introduced to this for the very first time. What adaptive assessments do is they let students make progress based on their ability levels. So if I have a student that is really well versed in geometry, they may be able to go through all the adaptive assessments and not get any scaffolding or remediation or support because they may not need it. You may have another student that struggles with this concept or has never been introduced to it before, and they might get the first question wrong. And when that happens, and if that happens, the student will then get another question to support or to reinforce or to give help to that student so they can be able to answer the question. So it's scaffolding within assessments which is something as teachers, we're very used to and accustomed to doing. And we have different scaffolding strategies, but I have not seen it as pervasive in assessments as I do with like a direct instruction or with like a a student edition of a book. Um, We're really seeing that a lot more now. And and it's really encouraging because we're understanding that not all students are created equally. We, We all have different learning styles. We all have different backgrounds that we come from, and it's meeting the students where they are in their learning. But as the assessment itself progresses, the goal is for all students to meet the same learning objectives at the end. So no matter where you are, you're able to achieve that same goal as someone who knows all these concepts already. OK, I understand that. So
0: I guess <laughs> what would help me to understand. So is adaptive assessment in a way kind of the complement to personalized based learning that I've heard a lot
1: about? Yeah, uh, Yep. absolutely. You can think of it that way. And when we, we talk about like personalized learning, you're usually thinking about it from like a teacher to student perspective. What is a teacher doing and how is a teacher making it relevant or making it personal? Or how are they differentiating something to meet the needs of a particular student? So this is the same kind of thing, except it's in an assessment. Usually when we have assessments, you have your 10 assessments and you go through one through three, four to all the way to 10 and and you're done. These assessments are adaptive. So you may not have those 10 questions. You may have more. And the purpose of them is to get you to mastering the learning objective at the end. So it's just it's giving you a different pathway to achieve the
0: the end goal of understanding those materials or those yes. concepts. Yep, exactly. Okay, I yeah. got it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's very unique because usually we don't see this in assessments. Usually we see this as part of a teacher led instruction or even student led instruction, um, but we we don't really see it too much in assessments. So it's really um, interesting to be able to see this, and also why I love working as a vendor because. If I was at a publisher, I may not be able to see these different innovative ideas that our thought partners are coming up with.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And do you feel? I mean, it it sounds like it's still somewhat early days in this area of adaptive assessment. But do you feel like that's going to drive some more of the personalized learning between teacher and student, or within, say, digital uh, content that's being created for students?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we're we're seeing more of a pickup in making our materials like culturally responsive. We're seeing a lot more. That's so one of the other things that Westchester really does an excellent job with was culture responsive materials. So we're definitely seeing an uptick with that. But I think this assessment part may be relatively new. I have seen this with um, a couple clients right now, but I definitely think it's going to be one of those next, next big things, because <laughs> okay. I think it's going to be really well received. I have, I have not seen it as a, up until late. And, and maybe this is something
0: that's stemming out of the things that have happened over the last few years, which have had a profound impact on all areas of education. And it's also opened up and identified areas, you know, for improvement, Within the processes or the methods by which students learn, so along with adaptive assessments, which is seeming to you know kind of start to take hold, are there other developments taking place in math and science that you're excited to see reach scale during the next few years?
1: I think that now that our our publishers are starting to understand more about NGSS, because it, it is it's a really difficult set of stairs to understand. And it does take a lot of time to really like digest them and even like dissect them and figure out how are these different parts related. So I think our publishers are really getting a good handle on NGSS now. I am starting to see more of a shift toward inquiry-based learning um, or project-based learning. So we're, we're starting to see more of that now, which is really encouraging because that's really what the, um, NGSS is trying to do. We're trying to make kids... Think like scientists. I guess those those parts of it. So using more inquiry in lessons and different levels of inquiry, depending on the students' developmental range, and also having more uh, performance-based assessments rather than those traditional kind of like pen and paper or on a screen kind of tests.
0: And Laura, one final question I enjoy asking guests. Um, is there a piece of advice that someone has given you or that you have learned over the course of your career that you think is worth sharing with others?
1: And this is one of those things I, I always try to not make mistakes, but I've learned that it's, it's really okay. It's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It just is how we learn. We learn by failing. We learn by making mistakes. Um, I make several mistakes every single day, <laughs> but it's, it's important that I recognize them and that I learn from them. So I think that's really what uh, true growth is. It's making mistakes and then learning from them. I would definitely have to agree with that. I, I feel like
0: um, mistakes aren't necessarily mistakes. They're lessons on the pathway to success. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad we both have a similar mindset in that area. So Laura, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time to join me on Westchester Words today. It's been a very good learning session for me about science and math, and I'm sure for the listeners as well. Right, great. It was great talking with you today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Westchester Words. If you're looking for previous episodes or want to read additional content that has been shared by some of our guests, please visit our websites, WestchesterPublishingServices.com and WestchesterEducationServices.com. For an international perspective, check out our sister podcast, Westchester Words UK and International, available on the Westchester Education UK website, WestchesterEducation.co.uk, or wherever you stream podcasts. We love hearing from our listeners and welcome your emails at westchesterwords at westchesteredsvcs.com. Tell us what you enjoy hearing on our podcast or suggest topics that we can cover in future episodes. Speaking of future episodes, I look forward to having you join us for the next episode of Westchester Words when we'll be having another engaging conversation about a topic of interest to the education, edtech, and publishing communities. Until then, stay safe, be well and stay tuned.